Hi everybody, JP here with the solution to last week's riddle posed by Dr. Jacques Morcos. As a brief recap, you're facing a fork in the road, and two twins stand nearby that know which road will get you to your destination. One twin always lies, one twin always tells the truth, you can't tell them apart, and you can only ask them one question to ascertain the correct road. So what do you do? You simply ask either twin, what would your brother tell me to do? And then you do the opposite. If you happen to have the lying twin, he knows his brother would tell you the correct road, but then he'll lie to you and tell you the other road. If you happen to have the truth-telling twin, he knows his brother would lie to you and will honestly tell you such. So either way, you ask them what would your brother tell me to do, and then you take the opposite road. Now I'd encourage you listeners to go back to last week's episode to hear that riddle delivered in classic Morco style. Anyway, on to today's episode. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So I'm here today with Nitin Agarwal, and I'm really uh, honored I could get in front of him. We're here in Miami, and Nitin came in for a course. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have JP with us today because we're in Miami, and he's busy working long hours as, a, as an intern. But Nitin, uh, I'm going to have him introduce himself, but I understand he's a chief resident at uh, Pittsburgh, right? So my name is uh, Nitin Agarwal. I'm a uh, PGY6 at Pittsburgh, covering chief, uh, but next year's my actual PG chief year. Oh, so you got one more year at Pittsburgh. Yes, sir. Okay. I really wanted to get in front of you because I've been following your career, and I know you're about to do a fellowship with Praveen Mumanini, uh, my good friend at UCSF, right? Yeah, I am. Okay. So one of the fascinating things about this is, I, I mean, I thought I was a high achiever, but um, Nitin, you've already edited, edited two books already? Yeah, I just released my last uh, second edited book last year in 2018. It's called uh, Neurosurgery Fundamentals. And uh, the purpose of that book was to get a guide for medical students, incoming residents, uh, to get an introduction to neurosurgery and uh, learn the fundamentals for what it is to be a, a trainee in the field. I love that you, what, what you've done, I think, is that your level, which is your, you went through residency, you've identified the, uh, the, 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 the areas of opportunity, but also the areas where there's need, and you're filling them with the, these books, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, for the longest time for neurosurgery, everybody read Greenberg, but uh, that book is very comprehensive and um, it has every detail you could possibly want from neurosurgery. But for a beginner, there really wasn't a resource that they could go to. So I felt that compiling the knowledge from the experts around the field for what a beginner should know would be helpful for future generations in the yeah. field. Greenberg's almost too condensed and too comprehensive, right, at the same time. Well, it's the Bible for the field, but for a beginner, you want the basics. Yeah, the Bible for the basics of the field, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I wanted to get in front of you is because I, I don't really know you that well, but I've been following your career, and I can't even imagine how many peer-reviewed publications. Is it over 100? 100, 100 it's one or two. 
one or two hundred, okay, one or two hundred publications somewhere in that band, and that's pretty impressive for someone who's how old are you now? You in your thirties? I just turned thirty. Just turned thirty. Okay, so I'm really inspired by that, and and I know uh, since JP and I have been tracking our podcast that a huge contingent of our listeners are essentially younger folks. Uh, probably because older folks haven't heard about it as much. We haven't advertised this podcast yet, although we will be uh, officially relaunching it at Double A Nest. It's going to actually be endorsed at that meeting in Boston. But up until now, I think a good percentage of our listeners are younger folks. Um, and tell us about how you got inspired. Tell us about what drove you to to be so much of an overachiever. Well, I think that... Um Every person has a passion, um, and that for me, I've lived in a lot of different countries. I mean, sorry, not a lot of different countries, a lot of different areas of, of the nation. I grew up in, in New Jersey. I went to Pennsylvania, went to Fargo, North Dakota for six years, Vegas for 10 months. I ended up in Florida. Uh, in Florida, they, at one point in time, were transferring me from the middle school to the high school for math courses. So oh, wow. uh, okay. I ended up uh, going to boarding school so that I could be with my peer group for classes that were that I wanted to take. But I think a boarding school uh, was the first time that I met individuals that were way better than, than the caliber of a student that I was. So you had people from all over the nation, all over uh, the world coming to the school. And being with a peer group that uh, everybody's trying to excel, I think, drives you and motivates you to excel as well. Um, obviously, I would, I, give you, I would say that a lot of my success is because of my mentors. Um, you know, my father has always um, tried to advance um, in life and help others out. He's a physician. And I think my mentors in med school um, I looked up to and I wanted to be like them. Well, that's great. And, and, and you've certainly accomplished a lot because of it. And, and I think a lot of our listeners are very bright people, high IQ and overachievers just like yourself. But a lot of young folks, maybe maybe they're paralyzed by doubt or maybe they don't know how to get started. So let's let's walk through something that you've done successfully at a very young age, which is to uh, publish a book. And and one of my mentors, John Day, who's the chair at Arkansas, he was he published the first skull base atlas in the world when he was a chief resident uh, with Wolfgang, the late Wolfgang Kuss in Austria. And that was a huge achievement to, to publish an atlas at a time when, you know, there was no rodent collection and all this other stuff. And I was really inspired by seeing him and Mike Capuzzo. But for you in residency, like how did you make the connection with, and you connect with, with Tima, right? So it's a big publisher. How did you even like come up with the idea, pitch it, walk us through that? So, um, number one for publishing a book um, uh, is collaboration. I think that without collaboration, you know, clinical care comes first, patient care comes first for our field. So without collaboration, that would not have been possible. But I think what people don't know is that I started pitching this book um, in medical school, and I was rejected five times. Wow. Okay, so there was rejection. I thought it was just easy for you. (laughs) I wish. Five times I was rejected by... Uh, Should Tim- we name the publishers? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's name them. He's very proud of it. So uh, Timothy Hiscock, who you know, I'm very grateful for, the fact that he has given me this opportunity and continues to give me opportunities, but he himself will openly say that you know he rejected me multiple times because he wants to ensure success before he'll take on a project. Um, and I think that that holds on to the fact that um, uh, failures uh, um, shouldn't be a roadblock to you pursuing your passion and so I really felt like it was a niche and every year at WNS and CNS whatever conference I was at I would go up to the team of table I'd repitch the idea and I would get turned down again and I can't remember what finally turned uh, the wheel but eventually one day uh, uh, Mr. Hiscock said yes 
Were they just sick of hearing from you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, persistence uh, definitely pays off. One of my mentors in in medical school, Dr. Heary, I remember he described me once as somebody as a rabid dog that that bites onto somebody's leg, and and no many times you kick that dog or try and shake him off, uh, he won't let go. So... (laughs) He comes up with the funniest <laughs> things to say about people. So, rabid dog. Yeah, rabid okay. dog. Uh, All right. But persistence, I think, is a key to success. Um, and for me, that that was the key to getting a contract with Timo. So, we, we've uh, had a lot of discussions on this podcast now. One of the great ones was Nick Bullis about the psychology of neurosurgeons or the psychiatry of neurosurgeons. So, for a lot of folks, they're going to do this. They're going to go try something and they're going to get rejected. How do you deal with that emotionally and then come back like like are you just that kind of guy it's like rain off a duck's back or do you like start drinking or like what what how do you handle that i mean it's not I, easy actually it's a known fact that i can't handle handle my liquor so i try not to drink on a regular basis <laughs> you should be doing the miami fellowship yeah, yeah yeah definitely would not survive there um but uh you know we talk a lot about grit and those types of things i uh, did martial arts from a very young age from you know age four or five uh and ended up um becoming a full-time instructor at a studio, opening my own location, uh, running a business. With, what martial art is it? Uh, taekwondo, taekwondo okay. Krav Maga, and Jiu-Jitsu. All three? Um, yeah. You have a, you have a dojo? Um, well, you know, I sold the majority of it um, throughout residency because, you know, like I said, patient care needs to come first. You need to know your priorities. But, yeah, I had my own dojo in, in Flemington, New Jersey. Um, and had, what belt were you in Taekwondo? Uh, third degree black belt. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Third degree. And then how about the jujitsu? How far did so you go with that? Jujitsu uh, was more of a um, thing that I did on the side. So I only okay. got into the middle of, of the ranks in jujitsu um, at Blue. But um, in Krav Maga, you know, as you know, there's not really a belt system. It's based on practical yeah. self defense. Um, but, um, you know, that, that teaches you a lot. I mean, starting a business from scratch and and running it, um, managing 10 to 15 different employees, uh, the amount of, of ups and downs you have with that um, prep you for, for neurosurgery, I think, because you develop mental and physical stamina, and that's what the field needs. I think the grappling arts have a particularly, uh, I mean, you're, it's basically you alone, right? And yeah. there's pain and persistent pain. And, I, and my fraternity at Stanford was full of wrestlers and football players, and I was always impressed that the wrestlers uh, were much tougher I felt than the football players <laughs> and, and I can see that if you've done jiu-jitsu and Krav Maga that you, well, you can you know, take some pain jiu-jitsu they always say that um, your size doesn't really matter because uh, the on the ground you know everybody's equal so um, it's leverage huh <laughs> it's, it's leverage yeah <laughs> so okay so I can remember uh, when I I'm not as tough as you I had one of my rejections from the white journal uh, from Journal of Neurosurgery before they had Journal of Neurosurgery Spine. And I was a, a third-year resident, I think. And I put that paper, and I talked about this in my chair's addresses of the spine section, I put the rejection letter away in a desk, and I didn't write for a year and a half. I, I was like, I was, it wasn't that I was paralyzed. I just like, I was like, fuck this. And then it was like, well, I guess I'm not good enough. And then it was like, well, you know, I'll, you know I don't like this journal. I didn't ever publish in a white journal. Wow. After that, I never sent anything to them. And then, of course, I got, I got on the editorial board of the White Journal. So I was always with the Red Journal. I was red, not white, and Mike Capuzzo was my mentor. So it was easy for me. But if it hadn't been for Mike Capuzzo to get me back in the game, I think that I would have just gone into private practice and not written another paper. Now, of course, you know, I have hundreds of publications. But, you know, what goes through your mind? Because yeah, you're obviously I mean, exceptional I, in this. I, I, I cannot tell you the number of rejections I've gotten. Um, and, you know, the first time I actually met... Um, Dr. Kanzioka, you know, who, as you know, is one of the editors for 
JNS. It was at a conference, and uh, and he said, "Oh, yeah, I've rejected many of your papers." Uh, <laughs> um, I know you. I rejected yeah. you before. So yes. uh, obviously, he was at Pittsburgh before, so he knew of me. But um, <laughs> I, I, again, I would hone back to persistence. That there's a there's a place for everything. Every uh, article has a home, and. Um, one rejection is just a stepping stone for you to revise that project and resend it in. So I cannot think of one project that we've abandoned because it was rejected. We've always revised it and, and resent it to some other place, and eventually it's had a home. I even had recently um, uh, Dr. Benzel called me up on a phone about an article we were we were um, uh, that I was writing. And, Ed Benzel, the editor of World yeah, of Surgery, right? Correct. And um, he had asked me why I hadn't sim- submitted it to the White Journal or the Red Journal, and I told him it was rejected there. And he couldn't believe it, and he thought that that contribution should have been in one of those journals. So, uh, I, I think that um, trying um, and persisting uh, eventually begets success. Yeah, we've had both Nelson Osiku, the editor of the Red Journal, and Jim Rucka, the editor of White Journal, on this podcast already, and then the episodes are out there for the people who want to listen to them. And I, I think you're right. I think that if you view it that way, you have a much more global view. That yeah, you know, it's just a set of reviewers, and then you go to a different journal, it's another set of reviewers. Um, what do you think is harder, if, personal rejection, like if you're hitting on somebody at a bar or like a paper getting rejected? What, what do you think is harder emotionally? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I have a beautiful fiance, so... Um, this is before her. Just, oh, before yeah, her. Nothing in this podcast. Yeah, de- de- definitely, the, uh, definitely the article rejection. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like it's, it's, there's something more lasting about it, something more complete. Yeah. It's not like, you know, you go to a bar and you try to pick someone up. It's like, oh, yeah, they, I just, it wasn't a good day. I didn't look good that day. I'm not their type. There are, you know, they, they've got a boyfriend. But with these things, they, they really look through your writing and then they reject you. Yeah. I mean, they should call it something different, right? It should uh, be something different well, than rejection, you know, right? Well, every rejection can be educational. So, you know, there are, there, speaking of neurosurgery, I mean, there, there are multiple times throughout my own training and I'm still in training that that uh, I've encountered rejection or failure, and uh, each of those is a learning institute, uh, instance. Yeah. You know, they say that our institution is a learning one, not a teaching one. And, um, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, no teaching, only learning. <laughs> right, that's one of my favorites. And, um, and you know, it's true. If, if you don't learn and grow, how are you ever going to succeed? So I, I want to conclude by asking another question because I want this episode released before Match Day, and, and I know that uh, we interviewed both your your brother, right, and your cousin? Is yes, that right? Sir. Okay. And they're both amazing, just like you. I know that you helped them a lot because a lot of their papers are with you, but that doesn't belie the fact that they're, they're exceptional uh, young men, just like yourself. You're, you're going to find, as, as we do, that a lot of folks are going to be, um, I don't say disappointed, but they're going to be deflated maybe when they get the match day results. Some will be very happy, of course. Uh, can you give some advice to that? Because, you know, it's not like just so for, the, for those people listening, uh, what happens with residency is you finish medical school and then you apply for residency. And, and everybody's been used to a situation where you apply to a school, for example, or program, and you get acceptances and you pick from those acceptances, right? Like you've got accepted to four colleges, you pick one of them, right? Mm-hmm. But the match is a computer. So what happens is everybody puts in a list, like my first choice is this, my second choice is that, all the way down to 20 or 30 or 10. And then the programs do the same. They, they put their first, second, third, fourth choice of people, and a computer algorithm matches it. And so you only you don't get a choice. It's like the program and the person are matched, right? It's like a matchmaking for a marriage, right? So people get the result that day, and sometimes they hear ahead of time they get a call, right? And they could be happy. They could be unhappy. They could be having mixed feelings about it. 
Um, tell us about what our listeners, because a lot of them are probably going to go through the match this year or next year or the year after. Like, what do you tell your, your brother and cousin? You know, um, the match is a very strange and interesting process. And, and um, that day when I opened the envelope was the happiest day of my life. But what I, ha- what I really have to say is, it's, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I matched at Pittsburgh. But I was very, very happy that I was going to become a neurosurgeon. So I think number one is that um, I was applying to the field. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And no matter where I matched, I was, that, that was my passion. And I think a lot of people put a, a lot of um, um, emphasis on, I have to be at this place or that place. And I think if you don't love the field, then you're going to be very disappointed on match day. Um, for those that uh, unfortunately um, do not um, match into neurosurgery, I, I cannot even imagine what, what that feels like. But what I've meant, with all the people that I've mentored, I've said that we need to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So I think having a solid plan in place um, should that unfortunate circumstance occur um, would would beho- behoove you so that there's a plan of action moving forward. But again, I think it's another stepping stone to success. Um, and certainly I've mentored many, many medical students that are now very successful that didn't match the first time around. Yeah, just to add, I don't think there are really any bad neurosurgery programs in America. The quality is really very high no matter how you look at it. And I always think about it like if you're going to be a Navy SEAL, you could be odd team on one coast, even on the other. And people are like, I want to be part of six or part of four or one. But you're a Navy SEAL, right? I mean, that's you love you love the field. And I, that's great advice. And I uh, look forward to uh, maybe celebrating uh, for your brother and your cousin when they match this year. Um, do you have anything else you want to add to the folks out there, the young folks that are listening? I think uh, the Neurosurgery Podcast is a, an amazing endeavor, and um, uh, I would suggest that we try and spread the word to everybody. The more people that we can involve in the field, the better. Um, we're, we're a small group, but we, we have a loud voice, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be part of this um, podcast group. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on, and we're going to have you back for sure. And, uh, you know, your career is already on an on a asymptotic trajectory upwards, so I look forward to following your career more, maybe working with you on some more projects. I appreciate it, boss. All right, thanks. Mm-hmm.